Welcome back to another episode of Art House Garage. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman. And I'm Drew Foot. We are very excited this week to be discussing an incredible movie called No Country for Old Men. This came out in 2007. It's pretty, pretty famous. Yeah. You may have seen it. Hopefully you've seen it. Um, so No Country for Old Men is directed by the Coen brothers. It stars Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem. And it is a story of uh, a guy, Josh Brolin's character, who comes across a, a drug deal gone wrong at just the right time that he gets to take the money. So he finds $2 million and then basically he's on the run. That's the simple version. It's a lot more complicated than that. Um, this evil force is after him in the form of Javier Bardem's character. And he's kind of like, a, yeah, he's a, uh, he's a hired hitman hired by some rich yeah. guy to track down the money and get the money back. And then you have the sheriff, Tommy Lee Jones in an amazing performance. All three of the performances are really great. Uh, yeah. But I think Tommy Lee Jones especially shines. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the basic setup. It goes a lot of places and it has a lot to say about life and the universe, possibly. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. So absolutely recommend watching it. We discussed this and decided that for this episode, we are going to be talking spoilers about this movie. It's a movie that we really want to dig into kind of the ending uh, and a lot of the details along the way mm-hmm. that uh, I think even if you, I'll say this, it's not like a, a spoiler movie exactly. If you know this stuff, you could still enjoy it, but I definitely would want to watch it, you know, without spoiler. So well, I, I can see both sides of that. I mean, it, it's, it's 11 years old. So That's I think, true. I think it's okay. You know? If, yeah. So if you are worried about spoilers, go watch the movie. Uh, and then listen to this episode because we'd love to know what you think at the end. Yes. So as of today, it is streaming on Netflix, which actually like a week ago it was not. So I think that's fairly recent. So it should be there for a while. So go and watch it on Netflix. Highly, highly encourage you to do so. Um, and then come back and listen. Let me ask you something. What's the most you ever lost? Look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. Just call it Friendo. Willen, what's in the satchel? It's a bowl of money. He's just a guy who happened to find that money. I got a bad feeling, Llewellyn. Andrew, tell me about the first time you watched this movie and yeah. your experience with it. Because I'm going to tell you mine and say it's really interesting. So I remember when it came out, I, um, at that point in my life, had more time to read books and watch movies and things. <laughs> and I read the book. Um, I had heard Cormac McCarthy was sort of one of the great, uh, he wrote the book that this is based on, one of the great uh, sort of modern Western writers. Mm-hmm. And I bought a couple of his books. The only one I read is this one. Um, and I will talk a little bit more about the style of the book and how I think that affected the movie in a kind of a cool way. I'll talk about that later. When but, you, when you yeah. watched the movie for the first time, like, how did you feel about it? Yeah. So I was going to say, so I read the book and I, I, I thought it was pretty cool. And then I watched the movie and I definitely felt like I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, and 
now looking back, like it's a pretty complex movie. So yeah. I, I wish I would have, you know, dug into it more or something, but I kind of was like, yeah, it was fine. Uh, but I watched it again today and it blew me away. Really did. Mm. Uh, I, you know, since then I've heard so many people saying, Oh, it's one of the best movies of the decade and all that. And that. So I kind of went into it with higher expectations and totally was met. I remember watching it when I was in college just a few years ago. Let me see. I was probably, this is probably 2014. So it was like four years ago. So mm-hmm. still seven years after it was made. I was living with this guy who was, um, and he was like, dude, you got to watch this movie. It's awesome. And he loved like action packed movies. Like the town was one of his favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. Movie. And, yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, you're going to love this movie. Cause there's so much like action in it, you know, like yeah. shootouts and things like that. But I, when I watched this for the first time, I was like, and I, it fit it when it was over. I was sitting there like, what? That was it? That was terrible. Like, what the heck? And I was so mad. Like, I remember hating this movie when I first yeah. watched it. And then, like, somehow I saw like some like uh, movie analysis videos and stuff like that, and it was like diving into the meaning behind the movie. Mm-hmm. And I watched like two hours worth of like analysis, different analysis <laughs> videos. It was dumb how long I was on YouTube watching about this movie. There's so much and, out there. If you go to yeah, YouTube, it's amazing. Yes. yes. Go search, uh, no country for old men, movie analysis, and you will be just, you'll be floored because there's so much. And then I had to watch the movie again and it mm-hmm. instantly became one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So it I, I, I'm so glad we're talking about this movie. Yeah. I, I remember when you were saying that, that my showed it with my college roommates, I think, because I was like, oh, this is a, the Coen brothers are good movie makers and we should watch this together. And they all had that same reaction and, and myself too. Like, and I think the ending, we'll talk about the ending later, but it, it's sort of an anti ending. Like it, yeah. Like yeah. fades out. <laughs> it's like, uh-huh. That was the end. Yeah. And so I think that uh, college dudes were like, what in the world? That was crazy. That was boring. That was stuff. But, yeah. Uh, you're just left there. Like, yeah. What? That's it. That's how it ends. And you're just, yeah. It doesn't hit you right the first time you watch it. So I I always recommend people, when you watch this movie, you literally have to watch it two times before you can actually appreciate it. That ending is so incredible, though. Like now, you know, several years later, Mm. really paying attention to like what this might mean. uh, Blew me away. Really did. Anyway, so let's let's get into it. So um, do you have any like we're going to talk sort of about the filmmaking stuff and then we'll get into some of the themes of it. Did you have any like favorite shots, favorite scenes that stood out to you, Drew? Oh man, there's so many scenes. Um, Honestly, one of my favorite pieces of the whole movie is the opening monologue. Mm. So I love this opening monologue. There's so much symbolism. Um, One of the things that I had learned that made me love this movie, and this is why I was talking about like a couple in our first episode, I told you I love holistic storytelling. And I love symbolism and visual and audible, like uh, auditory symbolism. And during the opening monologue, it shows like the landscape of Texas and it shows three different windmills. And you see the first windmill is working and it's pointing in one direction. And you see a second windmill and it's going, or I think it's not going, but it's a normal windmill. It's pointing in another direction. And then they show you a third windmill that has no tail and it's just standing. It's like broken. Hmm. And, the symbolism there is that that those windmills represent the three main characters of the movie. And like the broken one is, uh, is the bad guy Shagur and how it stands for him. And I was just like, that is so cool. 
But I love the opening monologue too because it's essentially, it's kind of where the whole tension of the movie as an overall theme. And I love how it sets it up. And Tommy Lee Jones is an amazing, amazing, has an amazing performance yeah, here. he really does. Yeah, so I love it. I, my, one of my favorite scenes, I would have to say, is the opening monologue. I think it's amazing. Yeah, oh, that's what so cool. Yeah, um, I had several. So I, um, I think probably I may be more on the side of like noticing filmmaking stuff and like, um, whereas you like pick up on those themes better. Like that's so cool. But um, I really, uh, so I noticed a few things that were kind of like felt like Coen Brothers kind of touches. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. haven't seen every Coen Brothers movie, but I've seen several of them. Um, and one that really stuck out to me was the funny interactions that uh he had that sugar has with uh i guess she's like the secretary or like the she she's the woman at the the trailer mm-hmm. park where yeah. moss lives when he goes there to try to find mm-hmm. moss and he's asking stuff about uh where is he and she's like i can't reveal that to you and it's so funny like it's it seems out of place like this is a pretty serious movie but there are yeah. a few moments that make you laugh and that's mm-hmm. something that it's kind of a theme in a lot of their stuff is like having like the red tape or like a secretary who uh, like they have to go Not through these the processes. Yeah. Actually, I saw a play one time in college that some students did that was written by the Coen brothers and they staged it. And the whole thing was like the secretary as you go into hell. And, and so like they're <laughs> like, they're going like yeah. the pearly gates, but the opposite, but she That's like, so well, weird. you have to fill out this form and this form. And she had this, <laughs> <laughs> this huge hair. Like I just remembered that as I was watching that scene of like, the Coen brothers love that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's that was awesome. funny. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It kind of rushed back to me while I was watching. Uh, but then the cars, like, I don't know if there's any significance or like someone else can probably chime in and say, yeah, they do this for this reason. But in a lot of their movies, I've just noticed that they like to put the, the camera on like the hood of the car where you can see just the car driving or yeah. where you just literally see the road and you're like inches away. And it's almost harrowing kind of at that, that level. Mm. But I remember that same shot in Inside Lewin Davis. And he's like, in that movie, movie he's like sleepy and driving. And you feel that like, it feels dangerous that you're that close to the road. And he's like falling asleep. Mm -hmm. That really put me in a sleepy driver headspace when I watched that. (laughs) I remember that. But um, I I don't know if this is a callback at all. But I, I remember hearing a film history story about the first time a movie camera was placed on the front of a train. And like was going on a train track. And like yeah. the way audiences just freaked out because they'd never seen anything like that. Are you like, serious? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. There's this really cool documentary about this that I watched, but um, I'll link to that. Uh, it's like a 13-hour thing. I haven't even seen it all, but it's amazing. But they talk about <laughs> some of those really early movie history things. And somehow, and they always show like modern versions of like people are calling back to that. And I know the Coen brothers do are fans of film history. So I wonder if that's a like a, a callback oh, to that. To because it, yeah, it you know, just gives you that feeling of like you're on the edge and you're like rushing through this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, kind of an interesting thing. Another thing that I just noticed was just like the efficiency of the storytelling and like the film editing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yeah. thing that the like the one spot that stuck out to me with this was so Moss, uh, who is Josh Brolin's character, goes to this hotel and he checks into a room and then he okay. comes back and he wants to see a map of the rooms and he talks to, there's also like a front desk lady there and there's some kind of funny interactions. And um, he 
he wants to get the adjoining room that's on like the back side of the building and he really he, like yeah. it doesn't like, spell that out for you but you realize after he's looking at this map like that's what he's trying to do because he's hiding something in the vent and, and all of that um so he goes through this whole process of talking to this lady and then later on sugar who's on his tail shows up and it's like five seconds but it shows him in that lobby it shows him looking at the map of the rooms and then it shows him in a hotel room and i just was amazed at how quickly like they've spelled out exactly what happened he got there he talked to the lady he got the map like you know a, a long time's worth of stuff happens in like three seconds and i was like wow. that's like a masterful editing and storytelling like we have no question of what's going on but it was so quick and efficient i don't know i, I think that's something that you see like the experienced filmmakers are able to like just crank that out i think that's really cool i love that and, and i think that really feeds well into this thing that i also noticed as well where you see, and I got this from a YouTube video as well, so I can't take full credit. <laughs> we'll link right. all these YouTube videos too, because we want to yeah. share the love and the knowledge. Please, please. So uh, the Coen brothers in this film do a really good job of not like spelling everything out for mm -hmm. the audience and holding their hands every step of the way and showing them how they were here, then they got to here, and this this is the answer to the question, right? In the YouTube video, the Coen, they said that the Coen brother film don't, give you the answer they don't say two plus two equals four they give you two plus two and then let you put it together yourself and i think that's so true and like so many times i watch film and i'm and like it, it's so heavy-handed or i watch a tv show and they have to show you every step of the way and they have to show you what it got where it got mm -hmm. uh, where it got to and i'm just like uh, it just doesn't feel you feel like dumb like you're like okay why do yeah. you have to show me that yeah, and it goes back to what you're talking about too. It takes up time to do that. Yeah. And because they don't underestimate their audience or they don't, you know, they don't spell everything out for your audience and let you put it together, it gives them more time to be uh, more creative and move the story. And it makes it very efficient storytelling. Yeah. And they can use that to build so much tension. Like that's yeah. the one thing that stands out to me. Like when I think about No Country for Old Men, mm -hmm. I think – tension like that's the mm -hmm. number one thing i feel is tension tension and tension yeah um, absolutely it's all over the film so yeah I, I totally agree and i think that that comes with efficiency too like they're just so so careful where the way they're putting these scenes together and i think mm -hmm. uh if you haven't seen it and you're still listening this is like that just for, on a filmmaking basis, that's one of the reasons to see this because it's just like a thrilling ride. It, uh, so this kind of goes to my next point too, is that it's really minimal though too. So and that's kind of, I guess that goes along with the efficiency idea is that not only is it minimal in the story and like the plot and how it unfolds, like it does, it makes connection. It helps you make the connections of what's going on and figure out why is he doing that? Okay, I figured it out with like almost no dialogue for a lot of these scenes. Um, but it also has no music almost to speak of. I think there's like a little bit of a ambient sound at one point. Um, but because of that, no music, it's like, it's so sparse. Like not only it's the plot sparse, but the production of it is like just bare bones almost of yeah. here's what yeah. it is. And yet it's so engaging. Like it never pulled me yes. at where I was like, I wish there was music, you know, yes. like it, sometimes music can kind of, tell you how to feel too and like kind of lead you yeah. emotionally where the movie wants and that can be done well oh, or poorly so but in this case it like that's not even there so i thought that was really cool too 
yeah, it like keeps you on the edge of your seat. Like, yeah. so, and it like adds to that element mm. of like, you don't, because here's the thing, like music gives away scenes. Mm. Like it tells you what music can tell you what's going to happen next. Yeah. Right. Um, and they can either tell you what's going to happen next, or they're trying to go like goat you into thinking what's going to happen next and then do the opposite. Right. Yeah. But when there's no music, it's like, you don't know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, you know what it's going to do. And then there's sometimes there's, so just the sound design in general is amazing. But then sometimes there's like really loud, sudden, like, oh my gosh. Like at one point, it's not an explosion or a gunshot or anything. It's the phone ringing, but it's so quiet and tense at that moment. The phone rings and it like scared me so badly. Actually, I was watching with my dog and she jumped. She was asleep. She's like, oh, and she freaked out. And the phone That's rang hilarious. and that was the yeah but like wow. that's how part of how they do the tension uh just in general the sound is great so i watched about half of this on my tv and then i switched to my computer and i had on headphones and i was i had done headphones the whole time because mm-hmm. it like i could just really hear everything they were trying to do with it so anyway in in defense well, of watching with headphones go ahead though and that's why i love going over this movie because it's such a good film to look at to learn about good filmmaking because Every little detail in this film uh, has intention, was, mm-hmm. was, was chosen with intention. Like where not to put sound or music mm-hmm. was, in, was an intentional decision. Yeah. And like that's what good filmmakers do. They look at every little detail mm-hmm. and they tell you a story and they evoke some kind of emotion. And they like take you through this ride and this journey through every little detail like music like lighting, like colors that they put on their, like the clothes that they wear, yeah. the dialogue that the characters have between it's so, so beautiful. And like you see that, and that's that's why this movie is so good because it does that so, so well. That's so cool. You know? Love that. Uh, I made a, a short list of interesting shots, like my, some of my favorite shots of the movie, and then let's move on to themes. But uh, sure. I, so the first one I wrote down was he, so right after, uh, Josh Brolin's character finds the money and all of that at the beginning. He is leaving the scene the first time and this storm starts brewing in the distance. And I, you know, every little piece of this movie is intentional. As we just said, like that, that was planned. Like I felt it just gave you the sense of, okay, something's coming. And it was like way in the distance. Yeah. And there's like, like a storm starting, you hear the thunder. Yeah. And I just had this sense of something bad's happening. You know, that that's, that's coming this direction. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then when he goes back to the scene, my, I love the shot where, you know, he walks, he parks up like on the edge of this ridge and he walks down in there and then he looks Mm -hmm. back at his car. You see like one car against the, like silhouetted against the, uh, the moonlight, I guess. And then he walks around for a little bit and then he looks back a couple minutes later and there's a second car there and it's like, oh my gosh. And like that Mm -hmm. moment when he cuts to that, your stomach sinks and your heart, like it, it really, uh, was effective, I think, in yeah. uh, putting us in his headspace too. Uh, so I loved that one. Um, there's a couple shots, and this will may come up again when we talk about the themes, but um, where Shigur is at Moss's house and he sees himself in the reflection of the TV. And it shows the shot of like just dark. It's all it is is like the window and him silhouetted against it. And it's like yeah. the, shape, the weird shape of his hair. You know, you can kind of see... Uh, and I, the first time I saw that, I was like, okay, is he, he's kind of seeing himself as like the angel of death or something. Is this how he's seeing himself? I wasn't sure. But then about 10 minutes later or something, Tommy Lee Jones character, uh, what's he's that? sitting in the exact, yeah, same, exact same, you get the same shot, except he has a hat. Yeah. 
So yeah. I, it, I, I, I don't know if you have a take on that. That, that may have something to do with like well, similarities. Well, if you also but... remember, ten minutes before, Josh Bol- Josh Brolin's character Moss was sitting in that on the couch with his wife and yeah. girlfriend, and they were watching TV, and it was at nighttime, and then the TV was on, I believe. Yeah, that's before. true. So yeah. they were all three sat in the same spot, and that, and like we said, we're going to talk about character point of view, but that's a very common thing. Remember. Remember what I said about the opening monologue, right? Yeah. Those, the three windmills, like Mm. Coen brothers do Mm. that over and over and over again through the whole film. They put these characters in similar positions, like, um, and like in the same spots even to, to like beg, they're like begging you like, and they put them in the same places, but at different times. Mm. And they're like telling, they're like show, like asking us like what separates these characters like what makes them different i think it's so yeah, cool that they do that, that is so you know? cool i love it i remember so when i was an english major in college i remember thinking like did the author really want us to think this about this book or did that movie maker really have that in mind or am i just making this up to like apply to what it means but i think when you see like a weird shot like the tv reflection thing you know they're wanting us it's to obvious. see this like they're trying to draw our attention to this but in a subtle way so i i yeah i love that it's this cool relationship that they can have with their audience. Yeah, yeah. Today we are sponsored by Riveter Solutions. Do you need a website for your small business? What about a blog to get all your great ideas out into the world? In the year 2018, the way your website looks matters. Not only does it need to look great on any device, but it should also be easy to use. The last thing you want is for your website to turn people away. If that makes you feel anxious, you aren't alone. It's a lot to think about, and that's where Riveter Solutions comes in. Whether you want to be moderately involved in the design and use of your website, or you want to never have to touch it, Riveter Solutions can make it happen with a beautiful custom website designed around your needs. Check out the websites they've designed and get started today at www.rivetersolutions.com. Talk to me about the one, there's two scenes. So my interesting scenes, I didn't. Yeah, go for it. So one, my, the scene with Shigur and Woody Harrelson's character, mm. when he catches up to him and he's, they're having the dialogue yes. there. Oh my gosh. That's and, all with the, the phone ringing. Yes. And he's like, what, you know, he's like, what brought you to this point? If, if you're the rules that you follow got you to this point what good was the rule? Like basically, so like if, if all the things you do in life get you to, you're about to be dead, then a lot of good that was. And I love that scene because that's like the, the crux of who Shiguri is. Like Mm -hmm. we were talking earlier and, and we were talking about how like Shiguri seems like he's the Joker, like he's the chaotic, Mm -hmm. he's the chaos in the film, but he's actually the opposite. Like Shiguri has, out of all the characters, he is the most straight laced has mm-hmm. the, he falls the like r- his rules to a T and like, mm-hmm. and which brings me to my other scene that I really love, which is the coin toss scene, which the first time in the, in the gas station. Yeah. So there's yeah. a scene, right. And this is for the listeners. There's a scene. He goes in to pay for gas and he goes, it's in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And there's this old dopey guy that owns the gas station. He's trying to make small talk with him. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, and then he flips a coin and he says, call it. But the guy, he's like, what for? And it, and they start building this tension because as the audience, we've seen this guy kill mercilessly, like without remorse, like three different individuals at this point, mm-hmm. you know, 
in the coldest of ways and we know what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's just this, it's this uncomfortable dialogue back and forth. There's no sound. And he's like, what for? And he's like, just call it. He's like, what for? And it it just builds and it's crazy. And I, I, one of the YouTube videos I, I watched talked about this, it said, you know, the consequences give even this, this, the most seamless minute things, the most like weight, even things like a coin toss, mm. you know, every day a coin toss, how much, I mean, how much weight does a coin toss have? I'm like, Hey, let's, mm. where are we going to go eat here? here toss a coin toss. We're just trying to decide where we're going to eat, but we know that's life or death. Like yeah. that man is either going to die or not. And it gives something as inconsequentially seeming as a, as a coin toss. It gives it so much weight and it just creates, all, it's just, it's just a great scene. Yeah. It's so tense. And I, you start to realize that the gas station owner is slowly thinking, okay, something really sinister going on here. And like, so you kind of watch him realize that. Yeah, it's really well done. Oh man. It's, those are my two, those are my two favorite scenes for sure. And then um, all the scenes with Tommy Lee Jones, I think are just masterfully done. Yeah, he is. This is a great performance. Uh, One more honorable mention scene for me is the, uh, the hotel fight where he ends up jumping out the window. So sort of the second hotel, um, where they end up in the street and the cars and everything that just, that whole scene is like really thrilling, intense. And yeah, love that one. Anyway. So what themes stand out to you? So let's talk about the themes in the movie. So what, how do you feel about the themes that the Coen brothers present to us in this film? No country for old men. Yeah. So I I really tried to pay more attention on this viewing. So I've just seen it twice now, like that first time that I didn't care for it as much, but, and didn't appreciate it. But then this time, um, so I had an idea a little bit that it had something to do with good and evil, but I think it really hits hard, like the problem of evil as like a, you know, philosophical idea. And like Tommy Lee Jones is obsessed with the world is so terrible now. And, um, it sets that up from the very beginning and, and that's how it ends too. Yeah. It, yeah. I, th- going back to that opening monologue, he says in the monologue that, you know, the old timers talking about the old sheriffs, cause he's a, he's a sheriff in the movie or, uh, in Texas. And he said, Oh yeah, the old timers, some of them didn't even, they used to not wear a gun even like this idea mm. that times were good and that it was a mm. simpler time. You didn't even have to wear a gun. Sure. One of the things I love about this film and what it, the, the conversation it has about good versus evil is that it's too simplistic. And I love how mm. they do that in the Western genre, right? Mm. Western, my dad, I grew up, my dad always watch Westerns and I hated them. I always wanted to watch like cartoons or something when I was growing up. What I, I love yeah. that they chose the Western genre to, to do this because, um, you know, like the old Westerns, like the good, the bad and the ugly and three to Yuma, there's a specific kind of template that they follow, right? You have mm. the good guy who's usually wearing some kind of like light colors, white, even and you're very traditional one, and the bad guy's wearing black and, it's very simple, very easy to, to distinguish between those two. And there's like a cat cat and mouse type chase, and they're just kind of going back and forth. Yeah. And then there's usually a shootout at the end. That's the big thing, right? 310 to Yuma, mm-hmm. they get to the train scene. There's a huge shootout at the very end. And usually the good wins, okay? Well, the Coen brothers prime you to feel like this is going to be a traditional Western. Like the very – they has all the – the tropes of a Western, right? 
that the setting of being that open plain, that Texas, the wild, wild west feeling, you know, Josh Brolin's got a cowboy hat on, boots, guns. He walks in, there's been a shootout, you know, um, the Shigur's wearing black colors, the whole movie, mm-hmm. you know, it yeah. has that feel, but then there's no shootout at the end of the movie. And I think what they do really beautifully, and this kind of jumps to the end is that they prime you to feel like this is going to be a traditional Western, but then they don't give you the payout. They don't give you mm-hmm. that release that you feel like you need. And throughout the whole movie, you see Tommy Lee Jones's character wrestling with this idea that it's not like the old days. Right. And one yeah. of the things that I love, and this kind of gets into character point of view though. One of the things I noticed is if you go back and watch the film, almost all with the exception of a couple, almost all of the scenes that Tommy Lee Jones is in, he's sitting Mm. like he's in the diner. He's in his office at the end scene when he's at his house, there's only like one scene where he's standing. It's when he goes to the uh, shootout scene at the beginning of the movie and the rest of the scenes. And then when he goes into the house, but the rest of the scenes that he's in, he's sitting down. And I think that's really intentional because like, his character is kind of stuck in his ways and he doesn't want to move. And like the whole film, Mm. he's always complaining about like, Oh, this is not like it used to be in the old days and things like that. And I think the Coen brothers do a really beautiful job with their filmmaking and through Tommy Lee Jones character with like having us be like, look, you know, it's not like good versus evil. Like it's not that simple anymore. You know, it's very complex. Mm. There's a very much a gray area. Yeah, that's me. I he is always sitting down, isn't he? I'm just thinking through like almost every scene. Like there's a few times he's walking, but like mm-hmm. every major thing that we see him do, he's sitting down for it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, dang. Well, yeah, we could talk about that ending now too. So I think that that kind of nails down like that that message that I guess the Coen brothers are sending out. Like, what's their worldview here? Mm-hmm. And we can talk about basically a pessimistic worldview. Um, so he's describing his dreams and he has this dream of his father. So he, he feels very connected to in the old days. And he's talked about that and his father's going ahead of him in this darkness to light a fire and like create a safe, warm place for him. And that's yeah. kind of like the, he gets a roundabout way of telling that story. But, um, but then, so you're, it kind of gives you this feeling of warm, fuzzy, mm-hmm. like, Oh wow. He's, you know, his dad's there for him. But then it ends with, and then I woke up. Yeah. And it cuts it off and it's like shatters that that illusion and Credit then the movie's me. over like that's that oh my gosh it's it gave me goosebumps this time um yeah <laughs> and like, he's retiring too that's the other thing is he retired at the end of the movie yeah so it's like this this evil force has overtaken like it's he's he's beaten basically kind of yeah it's just really powerful and i think yeah that, that they nail that message down really well mm. um so here's my question for you drew so yeah. this we, we can talk about, you know, different movies have pessimistic and optimistic worldviews. What do we do with that? So in, in general, I have a more optimistic worldview than that. Sure. Just personally as a person. So what do I do with that when I watch a movie and I appreciate it so much and I like, I love this movie, but it has the opposite viewpoint. Well, How do you feel about that? Like, here's the thing that I think is beautiful about the world is I can, mm-hmm. I think empathy is a huge part of life. Hmm. And I think what that means to me is that I can really appreciate the beauty in like creative freedom and artistic expression Mm -hmm. and 
So like, I don't have to agree with their worldview to appreciate it and see the beauty and how they express that worldview. Right. Yeah. And what I love about it is it asks me to question my worldview, not in the sense that like, Hey, you need to question it because it's wrong, but question it to know if it's really right or that if you're Mm. really confident in it. And that's what I love about it is like, I love watching films that challenge my worldview because yeah, if I can't have my worldview challenged, if I'm if I'm so uncomfortable having my worldview challenged that I have to avoid it, then am I is it real confidence that I have in it? And so, mm. you know, the end of the movie, the bad guy gets away, and I wish we could. There's so, like we could go on for literally probably three to four hours talking about this yeah, movie. Really thing. good. And like after now we're getting to the end of this podcast, and I'm like, man, we skipped over so much. Yeah, you know? we had more time. Yeah. yeah. But like, there's so much that goes into this movie and the bad guy gets away. Shigur, you know, gets hit by a car, gives a kid a, a $20 for a shirt, creates a, a sling for his arm and walks away. And that's it. You never see him again. And then it cuts to Tommy Lee Jones ending the film with him retiring and talking about his dreams. Yeah. And um, it's like, the world is a terrible place. Bad people get away and they go unpunished all the time and that's true to some degree Mm -hmm. but you know for me and you we we both believe that good will prevail you know that in the end people will be punished that people will uh, receive their consequences some way or another and so yeah so it almost sharpens your own viewpoint if you can yeah that's cool i like that it's like the grindstone you know when you're working sharpening a tool it, it's the when you rub against other worldviews and other ideas that aren't your own, you either mm-hmm. it's either going to break yours or it's going to sharpen it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I love that. Well, let me I actually, I just thought we should do a whole podcast about that idea because I have some other things to say about that, but I won't <laughs> go into it now. But another question. So Shigur has the final, we talked about like that really amazing, uh, subtle like what happens when he leaves that house and then he checks his shoes, you know? Yes. This was, you know, like, yeah. And this such a great reveal. Mm-hmm. And this goes back, this is really, uh, this goes into that, you know, like not underestimating the audience. Right. Mm. Uh, I love it because the first time you see anything with like Shigura throughout the whole movie, like really cares about his shoes. And you think, wow, what a small detail. The first time you notice it when he goes to this hotel, the first hotel and he starts shooting people up, he mm. takes off his boots in his room and then gets his gun and he puts a silencer on the shotgun, which is awesome, by the way. And you think he takes off his, you, you think, okay, he puts a silencer on the shotgun, he takes off a booth. That means he wants to be really quiet. So he goes in there and he kills a bunch of people and everything. Boom. Then he gets back to his, his hotel room. He takes off his socks, puts on new socks, puts his shoes back on because his socks are covered in blood. But then in a later scene, the one where he kills Woody Harrelson's character, he kills the guy, answers the phone. And as he's talking to the phone, it shows the blood creeping towards his boot and then right mm. before it touches his boots he picks his boots up and like he picks his feet up and props them on the on the bed and then you're like huh that's interesting and you realize yeah. it's his he's clean like he's he has this really doesn't want to get his shoes dirty from the blood and then I, so they've primed us they show they put two plus two and they do it at the end of the film where um Shigur shows up at moss's wife's house she just got back from a funeral and he's sitting in her, in her bedroom and 
they have a whole dialogue, which is amazing. And, but they never, she's like, are you going to kill me? And then he flips a coin and does this whole scene. And then it doesn't show us him killing her. And you're like, wait, did he kill her or not? And then after the dialogue, it cuts to him just walking out of the house. And so you're unsure because there's a lot of doubt in the conversation, whether he did or not. And you've seen him flip the coin and not kill somebody before, right? Because he didn't kill the gas owner. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if it got heads or tails because they didn't see it, they didn't show it happening. But he walks out of the house, and what does he do? He checks his boots, mm-hmm. and then you realize he killed her because he's checking to see if he got any blood on his shoes. Yeah, and like yeah, the fact that we've already been aware of his shoes is yeah, just yes. really well done. Like I love that subtle storytelling. Yes. That was so cool. It is awesome. Well another so i love that whole point right after that this is where i have a question okay anton chigurh gets in the car gets in the car wreck and then goes free but he's horribly injured so what was the point of having the whole car wreck scene was it a uh, there could be infinite number of possibilities but my thought is could it be a little bit of karma he's a bad dude some something bad happens to him he gets injured pretty bad mm-hmm. or is it just showing the world so crazy and random and bad that even this guy like who just did this is going to get in this terrible situation? Or is it like this conversation with that he has with the kids? Is that part of it? Like, is that the point of that all happening? I, what, do you, what do you think about that? I think that it is, I'm so excited to answer this question because <laughs> I think it goes back to the conversation he had with Woody Harrelson. What was the question? Yeah, uh, yes. your whole life is, or yeah, for your rules got you to this point. What was the point of the rule? Correct. And remember, we the gas station, the conversation he just walked out of, he's flipping a coin. Shigur mm. lives by uh, emotionless fate. Mm. And I think they were showing us that he was like, it's like he's he's eating his own rule. The fact mm. that some random person, we don't even see who it is. They never even get out of the car. They drive mm. off and he's been hit by this car, right? You see him, You see, it's, it's like, it's his rule. It's his uh, paradigm, his worldview in action. So what I love about it is like, you see, you have these three main characters. You have uh, Shigur, you have Moss, and you have Bell, which is Tony Lee Jones' character. And it goes back to the windmills at the beginning. It goes back to them sitting on the couch. They have three different point of views. You have her different paradigms and worldviews in which they act in, right? Moss, is, is the, which we think is the good guy, is actually the true neutral guy. This is the guy that is out for himself. He wants the mm-hmm. money, and he wants to keep the money. He finds the money. He does everything he can. It's, he's, he's driven by what he can do for himself. Then you have... You have Belle, you have Tommy Lee Jones' character, who's kind of the lawful good guy. Like he wants to see the good guy win. He's he's just he's kind of overwhelmed by the the intense darkness of what's happening and the the coldness of the killings and the lack of emotion. And then you have then you have uh, Anton Chigurh, who's kind of like lives by cold, emotionless fate, and lives have no meaning to him. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason. Like uh, the weapon that he uses to kill in the beginning of the movie, this uh, air rifle or this air mm-hmm. uh, compression. Used, that's used on cattle, they discussed later, right? Yes. That goes to show you how he views human life. 
he views it, he views human life the same as cattle, mm. right? So okay. you, that's a, that's where they're showing you that two plus two comes back in. It, they don't tell you, right? Shigur doesn't say to Moss, I don't think I view lives as cattle, right? He never says mm. those words, but the, they allow us to put that together by the way he acts, by the decisions mm. that he makes, by how he kills people. Um, we get to we get to see how he what his paradigm is, and so yeah. the whole movie is the collision and the the tension between those paradigms between those three characters. And so mm-hmm. I think the ending of him being hit by the tr- the car, the random car, is his worldview in action at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and he mm-hmm. he lives by it. He lives by the emotionless fate, and he gets up and he walks away. So he's almost like no hard feelings. This is just how the world is, and he yep. leaves. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of really great themes, great storytelling aspects, great filmmaking aspects. I mean, this movie honestly gives you a really great uh, look into just pure film and story, like storytelling and film. And I, I, it's, it's awesome. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure that we have not even scratched the surface of what's great about this movie. So, I would love it if people could hit us up on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. And here's what, tell us what is your favorite scene in No Country for Old Men? And why is that scene your favorite? Like what stands out about it? We yeah, would I can't love. wait to read some of that. Yeah, me either. Absolutely. Well, that will do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Stardust at Art House Garage. And you can leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We are also on Overcast and other major platforms, podcasting platforms coming very soon. Uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Bye.